to start off, I will say, as you probably noticed when the text was read, uh, this is a very peculiar chapter. Uh, it's very strange. Uh, I will say that it is probably, and I've read some people, they agree, it is probably the hardest chapter uh, in this entire um, book. So be encouraged. If you're a little bit confused, I am too. So it is confusing. I'm going to do my best to serve you. Uh, but it is difficult because there's, there's a lot of disagreement on how to interpret um, kind of what Paul, like what prophecy is and, what t- and kind of how we apply that. But it is a little confusing. So if this is, one, if this is a Sunday where usually you say, yeah, I clock out, okay, about 11.45, I would encourage you to drink some coffee, uh, chew some gum, hold one of my children. That will keep you awake. Uh, this will be a good one to uh, kind of plug into. Uh, there's a very popular phrase that maybe you've heard before uh, for people who are uh, either leaving a church or who don't have a church and are looking. Um, and I don't like the phrase, but you, um, I understand what it means. Uh, people call it like church shopping. Are you familiar with that phrase? I'm, I'm church shopping. We're looking for a church, that kind of idea. I always meant by typically is people just don't have a church and they're looking for one to, uh, to join, to be a part of. Um, and typically what, 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 why this phrase is not very helpful is because when you're shopping, you're looking for things for yourself, right? Like, let's see, what can I wear or what can I buy? What, is, what, is best, what does this person need for Christmas? What do I need for my birthday? These kind of questions come up. So when they come with church, we get misled, right? Things like, what does this church offer to me? Or what can my family get out of it? What is good there for us? Is, is there a good children's program for my kids? And none of those things aren't bad necessarily, uh, but they certainly gravitate us towards maybe the, the wrong understanding of what church is, right? It's not wrong to have those questions, but do you hear the, uh, the re- repeated phrase, it's what's it offer me, or uh, what's there for me, or how can I have this? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's wrong-centered, right? It's, it's kind of like that Toby Keith song, me, 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 I want to talk about me, right? And we, we want to do that. Some of the most common reasons why people actually leave a church are typically not for uh, sinful things, uh, like their pastor preaches heresy, or they don't believe Jesus is God, or they don't take communion. It's not, it's not usually things like that. Typically, uh, the reason why people leave churches, sadly, are self-serving reasons, right? We are, mo- we are, you can just look at stats for people that visit churches and don't come back. Uh, the reasons why they don't return or why they don't plug in or stay at a church is typically things like the flavor of the coffee, not being greeted enough at the door, not feeling welcome. People don't talk to me enough. Again, those things aren't necessarily wrong things to say, hey, you guys need to do a better job of greeting people. I think those are good things to talk about. Uh, but those are not the, the sole reason why the church exists. Uh, in America, we have the phrase, the customer is, customer is always right. Uh, in businesses, um, in other areas like that. But in the church, um, that cannot be our motto, can it? At church, the customer, the, the, the member, the attender, is actually not always right. Meaning we don't necessarily gather to be served, uh, but to serve. As Christians, we don't gather on the Lord's Day as consumers, uh, but as worshipers. We come not for felt needs, but for God's desires. And biblically, each Christian, each of you who is a member of this church, you have a responsibility uh, it's stunning to think that God, who saved you and gave you new life, also said, hey, you actually exist for something greater than yourself, namely his glory in the local church. So as members, you have a responsibility. And it's more than just sitting, uh, listening, trying to stay awake, 
And as Chad mentioned, it's more than just giving, actually. It's, it's much more than that. It's actually much greater, I think, than that. In Ephesians 4, I want to read you what uh, Paul says, and then we'll get into the sermon text here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11, uh, some famous words that pastors uh, treasure, because it's so beautiful what Paul says. But Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16 says this. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints, that's you guys, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with it, is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes up the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see what Paul's saying is, you exist, I exist, I my job as a pastor is to help you to do your job as the church, to grow together, together for each other, right? To mature manhood, to grow. So as a Christian in a local church, you exist to glorify God in how you grow other people. Your coming here is a means of growing others. You were saved to help others be more sanctified. God gave you spiritual life to grow spiritual life in other people. To be a Christian, to be a church member then is one of the most weighty but most beautiful occupations this side of heaven. Uh, Hebrews 1.14 says that angels serve believers, but as church members, we edify our brothers. Angels speak of things that they don't know. They don't know the gospel, right? They, they know it by audible, but they don't know it by their heart, right? But we as church members speak of what we love to each other. So today, Paul's going to show us that your responsibility as a church member, he's, he's going to show you that you, you have one. It's good. And we're going to do this in three steps here. So if you look at verses 1 through 5, first we're going to look at what Paul says uh, to pursue. So you have a pursuit to do, okay? Look at verse 1. Paul simply says this, pursue love. Cool. All right. I can do that. That's helpful, right? It's very simple. Pursue love. Remember where Paul was or where we are in the book. Chapters 11 through 13 are very perhaps familiar to you. Chapter 11 talks about men and women, bring, and men and women gathering, excuse me, and the Lord's Supper. Chapter 12 is all about spiritual gifts, right? Like it's a gift here, it's a gift there, it's a gift there. We're all one body for the common good together, right? One body, uh, many members, right? That's chapter 12. And chapter 13 is what we call the love chapter, right? But if you think about it, it's after the spiritual gifts chapter. So what Paul's saying is you can have great gifts, but if you don't love your brother, I don't care what you're doing, right? You're just a banging, clanging symbol, right? And then chapter 14, he says, pursue love. So if you were to erase uh, the big one for chapter 14 in your Bible, which is how Paul wrote it, right? He, Paul didn't write chapter 14. We did that, right? If you erase it, you would just see in chapter 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the grace of these is love. Verse, four, uh, verse one, pursue love. So it makes sense what Paul is saying. In all our dealings as a congregation, Paul says, overall, set love as your highest goal, right? Not the, hey, how are you? Good, me too. Peace out, I'm out of here. Not that kind of love, but a rich Christian love for Christ, an other-centered, uh, Christ-exalting, Bible-soaked love, right? A cross-shaped love in how we gather and how we view one another. Remember, 
how the Corinthians gathered. Now, we, we talk about people in churches have problems. We hear these stories about people splitting over, like, colors of the carpet. I think we all know that silly illustration, which is very true. Uh, but remember the church in Corinth. They're not exactly the picture-perfect church. They're actually, you think your church has a problem, you better look at Corinth. Chapter 1, they favored some of the other, over others. Well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos, right? They're just boasting each other, right? In chapter 5, they're letting sexual immorality with a man and his mom persist with no warning. Ah, I'll just, well, I don't want to bother them. Just let it happen, right? They're just letting it happen. In chapter 6, they're suing each other. Well, that's pretty loving. Chapter 7, they're saying, you know, it's better for marriage. Well, it's better if you stay single. So there's confusion about marriage and singleness. Chapter 8 through chapter 10, it's about legalistic things. Commanding things, the Bible doesn't command. Hey, you have to do this. You have to do this. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. I don't care. You have to. There's all this confusion about conscience issues and commands and legalism. Chapter 11, people are getting drunk at communion. You think your communion's got problems? They're getting hammered. Literally, they're getting drunk. They're feasting and gorging, getting drunk at communion services, right? And chapter 12 through 13, they're they're flashy about the, well, look what gifts I have. Look what I can do. Yeah, that's a, they don't look at him. Look what I can do. They're just a, there's a mess. Meaning there are ways that members of a church can gather sinfully and in an unloving way. Instead, Paul says to pursue love because love looks holy. It's truth loving. It's self-denying. It looks like the cross, doesn't it? Here the Bible rather forcefully intrudes the reasons why we gather. It's almost as if God places both hands on your shoulders, like, like, when I, like maybe you do when you talk to your children. They're not listening. Put your hands on their shoulders and say, listen. Right? You grab them. Look at them. Focus, right? The Bible's grabbing us by both hands and saying, why, why do you gather as a Christian to church? Do you, do you gather for reasons of love? Why do you come? Why do you gather? I want to ask you that question. Do you ever ask yourself on Sunday mornings, why do I come? Why do I gather on Sunday mornings? There's a shocking text in the book of Isaiah I want to read to you. We think about, well, it's, I'm supposed to come. I need to come. Uh, it's tradition, whatever. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11 through 15. I want you to hear what the Lord says to the Israelites who are actually doing what God commands. I want, to hear what he, I want you to hear what he says. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the callings of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moon... Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So the Lord is saying, you're doing, you're doing sacrifices like you're supposed to. You're coming like you're supposed to. You're doing literally what God commands. But the Lord's saying, I hate it. Why? Well, didn't Jesus say in Matthew 15, this people, they honor me with their lips, but their what is far from you. Remember the text? Their heart, right? It's just emotion. They're just doing it, right? So friends, don't let the sun go down without examining yourself about why you come. Don't look at other people. Well, I know why they come. No, no, no. Examine your heart. Why do you gather? There are a million ways to come to church wrongly. 
that displease the Lord. But here, Paul says there is an underlining truth for all, and that is to pursue love. Verse 1, here's our instruction. Your heart should be brimming with love. Above all, pursue love. J.C. Ryle said this, it must not content us to take our bodies to church if we leave our hearts at home. So, okay, Kale, I'm on board. How do I do that? How do, how, do, how do I gather in such a way that's loving to my brothers? Great question. Look at verse one again. And earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So seek, pursue, like to hunt, right? Desire spiritual gifts. Paul instructs the Corinthians to seek to love their brothers, not apart from spiritual things, but in spiritual things, right? Above all spiritual gifts, notice what Paul says, especially that you may prophesy. So isn't it weird? What do you think Paul would say? Pursue healing. We should all be able to heal each other. Pursue that. Pursue miracles. Do miracles. No, no. Paul says, no, no, not, don't pursue those. Pursue prophecy. Not speaking in tongues, which you'll get to, but prophecy. I want to give you maybe, this is why this text is very difficult, is how do we define prophecy? That's where we get disagreements with this, right? Is, is it always future telling? Is it, is, it, is it foretelling the future? Or is it foretelling truth? What, what is it? Well, popular to say that prophecy for us would be preaching, speaking God's truth to people. I think that's pretty dead on. I think it's right. I think it's true. However, we can't limit it to that, can we? Because what does Paul say? I wish you could all prophesy. Does that mean that everyone here should, should be a preacher? I don't think that's what he means. And it can't mean that, right? That's because that's later on he says you can't all do it at the same time. So prophecy for a simple way for us to understand is declaring God's truth at the right time for others. Does that make sense? So you can prophesy in the sense that you could speak God's truth. Not that God speaks to you at night and you go, hey, I, I had a dream. Let me tell you about it. That's not what we're talking about. That's new revelation. We, the canon is closed. God doesn't speak that way anymore. He speaks through his word. So you can function as a prophet in the sense by you speak God's truth to other people. And reality if someone were to say, well, you think you are a prophet? Well, kind of. I know it's going to happen in the future. I know if Man's going to die once and stand judgment. I know how the end's going to work. I know what happens after death. So you kind of do know the truth in a sense, right? But to prophesy for us, let's just say it's to speak God's truth at the appointed time. Let's go with that definition, okay? That kind of, and then if you remember speaking God's truth, you'll, you'll follow along very well. So first, that's what to pursue. Now Paul says what to pursue. Look at verses 2 through 5. We're going to pick up a little speed here. Here's a summary sentence of that section. Pursue prophecy so that others may be built up. Speaking in tongues is an unintelligible language to those who don't know it, but prophecy is for instruction and it's an understandable word. There are demonstrations of the Spirit that are both fruitful and are both gifts, but Paul's criteria for the Corinthians as a church is what you should do is what's good for your brother, what's good for everybody else. Come and do what's good for those around you. Look at verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Verse 5 and 4. The one who prophesies builds up the church, right? They edify their brothers. Meaning, friends, that belonging to a church in Corinth was more than just attending. It was about edifying. Belonging to Jesus means also belonging to his people. Loving Christ means loving Christians, right? In 1 Peter 4, 8, we read this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Take another look at verse 3 with me. Speaking prophetically, 
You're supposed to do this. What you say should be upbuilding and encouraging and consoling. That's why I think it can't just be <laughs> preaching because you guys can speak things that are edifying, encouraging by speaking what? This, right? Speaking the word to each other, right? Not just, hey, I hope you feel better, but or the Lord is kind. He's with you. I'll pray for you. That's, that's, that's encouraging. That's the word, right? The Christian life, then, is a community project. We must lock arms together. Hebrews chapter 3 says the same thing. Verses 12 through 14, it says, to speak to one another so that your hearts aren't hardened. Because the day is drawing. So Hebrews 3 literally says, your responsibility is to tell your brother. Remember the truth. If you don't, your heart's going to be hardened. Guys, the Christian life by itself, by yourself, it's impossible. I'd fall away if it weren't for a church. Who's going to watch over me? Who's going to hold me accountable? I'd fall away. I would say some wacky things probably. My doctrine might change. Who's going to call me an account? Who's going to set walls around me? Well, the local church does that. Do you know that there are 59 one another commands in the Bible? Love one another, pray for one another, serve. There's 59 of those in the Bible. Because the New Testament letters were specifically written to churches, to assemblies of Christians, to gatherings, right? How do you expect to fulfill any of those commandments apart from being a part of a local church? How can you confess your sins and pray for one another, as James 5 says? How can you bear one another's burdens, as Galatians 6 says? How can you encourage one another, as 1 Thessalonians says, if you are divorced from the local church? Do you see that? Really, the only way to obey all God's commands as a Christian is if you're part of a church. Or you're missing out at least 59. You're just, you're not even doing them, right? Uh, in Illinois, when I, was, when I went to high school, I, um, you guys probably heard this saying too. It's very common, I know. But uh, yeah, Kale, I, uh, I don't go to church when it's deer season. Uh, I, just do in, I just do it in my deer stand. I have a church in my deer stand. I get what you're saying. You can look, look at creation, it's beautiful. I get it. You can even pray. Can I just be very, very gentle? That's just nothing. That's not church. Just be up front. Right? Can we agree on that? In your deer stand alone, that's just not church. Right? Staying at home with your family. Reading the Bible together. I think that's what you should do, but that's not the gathering. That's not church, is it? There's a family that we uh, went door to door to in Excelsior Springs sometime in August or something and they were a family of five people and they said that they, they don't go to church anywhere they have church at home I said okay do you guys have like a pastor no do you guys like do the lord's supper no doesn't sound like a church to me right? how can you practice any of these commandments well you can't right so being part of assembly without membership who are you accountable to well nobody without membership who are you who are you who's accountable to you who are you accountable for who watches over your soul how do people see the fruit of the Spirit in your life apart from other believers? We keep and grow in strengthening and encouraging and in comforting by gathering with the local church, right? We stockpile the word in our hearts to spew it to other people, right? That's why you come is to grow in Christ, to give it to other people. That's the point. So what's that look like? Well, look at verses 6 of and Paul gives us a picture. So first, pursue this. Now, here, here's a, a picture. Paul's very helpful in this picture. Look at verse 6. He defines what prophecy is probably even more, to be more helpful, right? If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So, again, prophecy is some kind of 
intelligible, understandable word. Cool. I hear what he's saying. You're not just speaking in another language. You're actually speaking truth, right? Remember tongues, like in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit falls on Peter and they speak in tongues, what is what do all the apostles speak? Well, an actual language, right? He lists like, there's like 10 languages listed a ton. That's all of these actual, like German and French and Spanish, all these actual languages. But if there's no one there who speaks that, and you're doing that, we're all going to say, yeah, that's real helpful for us. Thanks for that. Thanks, brother. That was real encouraging, right? You're gonna, that's what you would say, right? That's what Paul's saying. If I did that to you, you wouldn't be encouraged at all. So it must have a flavor of instruction, of teaching, right? Psalm 19 says this, that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So therefore, any teaching, any comforting you give to each other should be biblical because it gives life and instruction and knowledge. Notice that Paul says again in verse 6 that speaking in tongues will not benefit the Corinthians. He desires rather to build them up, to encourage and instruct them. Uh, here's an example that Don Ray would probably really appreciate. Let's say that you had a flat tire. <laughs> And you say, man, oh, I got another flat tire. Because I get, I've got, I've, since I've been here, I've been like three flat tires. I don't know what's going on with me. Keep, I, I keep seeing nails when I go, get that one. Uh, let's say you get a flat tire. You pull your car up to wherever you're going, and he says, yeah, it's definitely flat. Oh, and you get out, and you leave your car there. But the mechanic knows that you also have a cab light out. What if you were instead to fix your cab light and not your tire? Is that beneficial? I mean, kind of. I'm glad I can see, but I don't really need that fixed. I need my tire fixed, right? There's a little bit kind of a weightier benefit I need, right? Spiritual benefits are kind of like that flat tire. They are truly beneficial. If it echoes into eternity, it is beneficial. So that which imparts to your longest residence is of your greatest value. We're going to be in heaven a lot longer than we're going to be here. Praise God. So whatever benefits you then is best now, right? What good is a church, a pastor, me, or a Christian if we simply care for earthly needs and not rush to eternal spiritual needs? What good are we? What good am I? If I fix the cab lights, it isn't helpful. I mean, it needs to be fixed, but this doesn't help me get where I need to go. May we never air condition unbelievers to hell. That's what I'm trying to say. That doesn't help. It doesn't do anything, right? If it benefits your eternity, it is best. So I'll give you something to live, maybe think of. Measure the worth of blank by how it benefits your eternity. Is this worth doing? Will it benefit your eternity? Do it. Measure it by that. How it grows your love for Christ. True benefits benefit us in another world. And Paul says speaking in tongues doesn't do that. So I'm not going to do that to you. I'm, I'm going to speak to you the Bible. I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to give you truth, right? Intelligible, clear, biblical truth for the church. Look at verses 7 through 9. He gives this illustration with instruments, right? Kind of like 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a clinging symbol. And Paul is saying this. What if I came to you with a flute? You guys like flutes? Me too. Paul's saying, I, I, I got a flute. What if I just covered, if I uncovered all the holes? You guys, that flutes have little holes, right? If I, what if I just uncovered them all and just started blowing as loud as I could? What would you say? Thanks. Beautiful, Paul. Right? Is anybody encouraged by that nonsense? No, of course not, right? You would probably be thinking, hey, Paul, next time can you give us a solo? Yeah, solo, we can't hear you. Thanks. See, that's what you'd say, right? Paul, 
quit, man. Hey, help at all, right? Or take the harp, right? What a beautiful harp. And you just pluck, pluck, just play like, like a nut. Just, what song is that? I just made it up. It's hideous, Paul. Just ugly, right? Uh, your prayer life would grow because you pray, Lord, please end this song, right? It stinks, right? That's what Paul's saying. Similarly with a, with a, a military, if you, if you had a bugle, right? If you're in the camp and you're waiting, okay, when do we attack? You got to wait for someone to blow the trumpet, right? Well, what if just some guy just starts blowing it like a, a nut? What do we do? I don't know. It's not very helpful, right? It needs, needs to communicate something clear, direct, informative, right? As Christians, that does what we must do. It's not just nonsense, but Paul says speaking in tongues is great, but if it's not going to benefit anybody, don't do it. It's not intelligible. So do you see the bottom line of what Paul's saying in the illustration? The emphasis is not on gifts per se, but what they are meant to do. Chapter 12 says they are for the body. Chapter 14 is saying repeatedly it's for building up the church, right? So ultimately, God gives you spiritual gifts for you to give to others, doesn't he? Gifts are discovered in a church, and they're to be used for the church, right? The Bible is so foreign to a closet, alone Christian life. It's been said before, the Christian life is certainly private or personal, but it shouldn't be private. You should have a Christian life to your own. You should, but it shouldn't be no one can see it. I'm just going to hide it to myself. Never talk about it. Be quiet about it. That's, that's not biblical. It's personal, but never private, right? These categories of silence just don't exist in the Bible for a Christian. God plants spiritual gifts in you to cultivate spiritual growth in others. We are tools in the Redeemer's hands. First Corinthians chapter 3 is probably my favorite text on this issue, specifically even on preaching. Uh, and what my job is as a parent or as a husband or as a pastor or as a Christian First Corinthians 3, verse 5 says this. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So what Paul is saying is it's God's kindness to say, I'm going to use you to grow other people. Isn't that stunning? You guys have little kids that ever say, hey, can I help you cook? And you're like, you can get a lot of cooking done probably, but yeah, you can help. What will you say? Well, yeah, come up. Because you want to delight with them to share the joy of the product. That's the point, right? It's a Christian life. That's, that's, that's the local church life. God uses people who would just mess it up. Lord, I would just mess it up to me. But he uses us to encourage, to grow other believers. Isn't that, isn't that sweet? Isn't that stunning? Listen to this. You were designed to shape the eternity of other people. So let that sit for like one second of your life. You were designed to shape where other people will spend eternity at. Being a Christian is no small thing, is it? It's a stunning reality. The church is no temporal thing. The gospel is eternally significant, so we should spend and be spent for it. So strive not to be a lifeless instrument of Christ, but a life-giving instrument for Christ. That's, that's the Christian life in the church. Verse 10 and 11, Paul gives a similar illustration, but with languages, right? He raises the situation that we've all been in before. 
you ever been to a restaurant where they don't speak English? What do you think they're doing? You sit there and you go, okay, I want this, I want that. How do you say that word? And what's happening is the two workers are sitting there talking in Chinese or something, and, and, and you're going, are they, next time? are they talking about me right now? He's talking about me, isn't he? And then when you're telling your husband or wife that and you're talking to them, they're thinking, are they mocking me right now too? Right? Because you're like, what, what are they saying? That happened to you, happened to me all the time. You're thinking, they're making fun of me, aren't they? I said that wrong. I'm sorry. Right? You get defensive. Well, that's what Paul's saying. If we're speaking in language, things that don't make any sense in any of these languages, we're just going to be confusing. We're not going to help anybody. Again, Acts 2 tells us that tongues are actual, real languages. Not to kick dirt on our Pentecostal brothers, but when they speak in tongues, it's not a language. It's just, it literally just babbling. And it's just not biblical. It's not helpful. It's misleading. Um, I love them. I, I know there's believers there, but that's just, that's not helpful. It's wrong. It's an actual language. Uh, the Greek word here, maybe your Bible says foreigner. Maybe it says barbarian. Uh, it actually means barbarian. And we get the word barbarian from what people would see Gentiles speak. So when they don't understand their language, they would mock them and say, bar, 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 barbarian. That's, that's where it comes from. So it's like, what are you even saying? And Paul is saying, we ought not be like that. We ought not be a confusing unhelpful person. We ought to be intelligible and helpful. <coughs> Lastly, number three, a prescription. First day, pursuit, a picture, and now a prescription. Look at verse 12 here. Paul gives a familiar drumbeat in this entire section. So with yourselves. Paul reminds the Corinthians that their responsibilities as they gather are not just for them, but for those around them, right? They gather for one another. This is 1 Corinthians 13 all over again. It's, it's for love, it's for love, it's for love. And Paul says, therefore, do it here. Don't just do it at home, do it here, right? Do it not just at work, but specifically here. Be other-centered, be mindful, be tender-hearted towards those who have needs, spiritual needs, their sorrows, be mindful of them. Paul therefore says to the Corinthian Christians, since you are eager, or maybe yours says zealous in verse 12, strive to excel in building up the church. So despite their many failures and their sinfulness, the church of Corinth was actually eager for spiritual things. Yes, they blew a lot of it. <laughs> they were messing up like crazy. But they were eager. They were zealous for spiritual things. Paul could categorize their church as, man, they want to be spiritual. They want to grow. What a way, what a thing to be known for. And that church, they just want to grow like crazy. That's what they want. Their zeal for the Spirit's work was evident by Paul. Yes, they needed correction. Yes, they need to be redirected, but they were eager for godly things despite their sinfulness. Paul says, strive for the building of the church. Paul says, if you're going to be zealous in your assembly and the work of the Spirit, pursue that which is good for others. That is true spirituality. Mark 10, 45 says this when Jesus speaks. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? Serve, not to take, to serve, right? True Christian love seeks the growth and holiness of other people by God's grace. So if you desire to love others, the Spirit desires to sanctify others. The love of the Spirit in the heart of the Christian does that, right? To love someone rightly, biblically, it to desire their spiritual growth. That's the work of the Spirit. In John 16, Jesus says the, the, uh, the work of the Spirit is to glorify Christ. So the Spirit, if, if you have a, a lot of people at their houses, they have these automatic floodlights, right? When you walk by the garage, the light goes, bing, 
turns on, right? That's uh, a great light. But the point of light is to flood light, to spotlight something below it, right? Well, that's the Holy Spirit's role, to flood light Christ. To, Ooh, there's Christ. To look at me, look at Christ, right? So if we're going to be like the Spirit and be bound to the Spirit, we're going to help people become more like Christ, as the Spirit does in Romans chapter 8. So what then does a Spirit-filled church look like? Someone's going to say, man, that church is Spirit-filled. What would it look like then? A place where Jesus is lifted up extremely high, right? The Spirit does that. that, that that's our role, right? A Spirit-filled church is a Christ-exalting church. The mark of the Spirit-filled church is growth in Christ. Furthermore, the mark of a Spirit-filled believer is conformity to Christ. If Christ is in you, you'll become like Him. If Christ is not in you, Paul said in Romans 8, you don't belong to Him. Because holiness is the flavor of a Christian. Therefore, if the Spirit exalts Christ, how much more should our church doing so towards others? D.A. Carson said this, that, so Paul says here that we excel in building up the church. D.A. Carson says probably one of the most startling words I've read that have just burned into my brain. I hope they do yours. People do not drift towards holiness. Don't you find that to be true? Do you drift towards getting stronger? I've been in the gym in 20 years. Buff never been. <laughs> do you guys drift towards health? Y'all, we got Oreos. It ain't going to happen. It's not. Do we drift towards being sharper in our minds? Do we drift towards being a better driver? Do we just drift? It just happens? No. We don't drift towards holiness. It doesn't happen that way. Apart from grace-driven effort, Carson says, it's not going to happen. So give your life to strengthening and encouraging those around you. In doing so, you stockpile the flame in your heart to stockpile theirs. This means that we must stoop down to give of ourselves, to wash their feet, Right? Uh, as a kid, you've probably done this before. Uh, when you're trying to look over a fence, you've got your friend with you. It's too high. What do you, what do you typically do? I'll, get them, I'll squat down. You get on my back. I'll lift you up, right? So they could see, and you just on the ground. It's kind of how the Christian life is. We stoop that others would see. And what's most stunning is when you stoop so they see Christ, it's like you, you, you meet Christ at the floor, right? Jesus is washing feet. So as you're stooping, like, man, where am I going to find Christ? Well, he's right there, isn't he? Serving you as you serve. He's not just standing up away, right? As you stoop to lift people up, you find Christ down below. In our stooping, there's Christ washing our feet. We find Christ by stooping for others to see Christ. It's paradoxical. It almost makes no sense, but it's sweet, isn't it? Where Christ is sought, I am not. That's the point of the church. When Christ is sought, I'm not. I won't be. I'll be forgotten. That's a healthy church. So then how do we practically do this? I got very short ways for you to do this. Very helpful, I hope. How can we associate with people who are like us? How can we serve them? How can we encourage them? How, how, how can we be like a torch to light their faith? Well, I want to give you three very simple ways, very quickly. Number one, your desires. Paul says to desire, to, uh, to pursue these things. In the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 15, the Judah, the southern kingdom, was ruled by King Asa. And as you, if you ever read Chronicles, it's just bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king. Oh, look, that one's good. Nope, bad. And just, they stink. Well, eventually, King Asa's good, and he reforms Judah. And he vows to make the people repent. This is what he says. This is what 2 Chronicles 15 verse 15 says this. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath. 
for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire, and he, God, was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. So they repented, rejoiced, and sought the Lord, and God says, here I am. You seek me, you'll find me, right? Doesn't that sound like Jesus? What does Matthew 7 say? Ask, and you'll probably get it. No, it says it all. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So I want to ask you a question this morning as Paul says to pursue godliness and love in this way. Let me ask you a question. Are your desires as a Christian distinctly Christian? Do your desires match those of the world? Put simply, would a worldly person find that his checklist looks just like yours, like ours together? Does our church look different in our desires from a rotary club? What do you pray for? Does your prayer life look different than an unbeliever? The things you ask for, the, the way you ask, are they different? Friends, we need to be rewired in our desires, don't we? I do too. But if you seek the Lord with your heart, he's going to respond. Yes, I will give you desires. Yes, I will give it to you. Yes, I will help you. He will deliver. Number two, your speech. Do you remember the, the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25? The master gives talents to these people, right, to use rightly. And the third guy goes, I'll just bury it. That's helpful, right? Here's some money. Bury it. Okay, well, that's good. And he got rebuked, right, because he wasted what he was given. Friends, the Lord has given each one of us a tongue, a mouth, words. And that exists primarily for speaking and singing and praising God. At home, at work, in the church, our tongues should drip the honey of the word. That's the point. Don't squander it. Don't bury it. Don't hide it. Speak. Our greatest concern should not be, and hear me very carefully here. This is, this is, I hope this is clear here. Our greatest concern should not be that Christianity is censored in the world. Our greatest concern should be it's often censored in our homes. When, oh, there's no Bible in school. Well, is, is, is it in your house? No. It's a problem, isn't it? Well, is, is it in your speech? Well, no. It's a problem, isn't it? It's, 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 the culture's going to be godless. They are. If it's not in your heart, then where's, where's revival going to start? It's not, right? Revival starts by ordinary Christians doing ordinary faithful things. Isn't that good news? That's how it starts, right? Fight for the freedom to speak the word Monday through Saturday with your tongue. That turns the world upside down. The Bible in the school will fail if the Bible's not in our mouths. Hence, family worship. Worship at home with your family. Pray with your family. Read your Bible with your family. Catechize. Catechism with your family. Do it at home. Have a devotion. Grow in Christ. Pray. I mean, I could go on and on and on. The great difference between our Christian speech and a non-believer's speech should not be the difference between a rated R movie and a PG. You, you, you guys know that, right? Die Hard speech, right? Die Hard, right? Versus uh, Toy Story. What's the difference? Well, there's quite a bit less swearing, right? Less vulgarity. The Christian speech should not be like that. We don't swear as much. It's not Christian, right? It should be godly speech, godly things. When I was in college, I memorized this verse. It just happened, right? I just, I burned to my brain. Colossians 4, verse 6 says this. 
Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So instead of asking, asking someone about the weather on Sunday morning, ask them about their soul. Instead of speaking about sports, again, it's not wrong, but instead of doing it again, ask them about the word this week. Hey, what have you read this week? Instead of talking about the work week, ask them, hey, can I pray for you a certain way? That's Christianity. That flips the whole upside. That changes things. Things at church, doesn't it? Lastly, and very shortly, very simply, your belonging. Colossians 3.16 is probably the most helpful verse on this. It says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Catch this, my favorite part. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The way the word dwells richly is by how you sing it. Isn't that stunning? The way you speak shows what you treasure, right? What you sing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Um, when Sandra sings, she sings loud. I'm so glad. I hear it. I, I'm, I love it. I'm not saying you guys don't. I'm not saying that. But I think, man, Sandra, she wants to sing. Makes me want to sing louder too. And which I know isn't always a blessing when I sing louder, but she, is, she loves the Lord. She's belting it. Thankfulness in your hearts to God should express it audibly. So I encourage you, when you come here, it's not the beauty of your voice that should encourage, it's the beauty of your heart that we see when you sing. Sing loudly with a heart full of faith so those who are doubting that day may be strengthened. Bring your Bibles every Sunday so when people, man, I, I, if I believe the Bible today, well, he brought it, he brought it, he brought it. Maybe I do believe the Bible. I need to be encouraged in that. Come on time so those who are alone or forgotten may be greeted and warmed by your greeting, not just so you skip by them. Come and talk to them. Come early and on time. Join in church membership to remind others that God places a top shelf view on the church, and you should too. The Christian life is personal, as I said, but not private. May God help us to kill the nature of spirituality in, the, in a sinful way and grow it in the lives of others. Let's pray.